Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Runners Only with Dom Harvey, brought to you by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Dean Barker. Everyone's got an opinion, and you know, like when, when you jump <laughs> oh, in the taxi God. and... Uh, and, you know, they start telling you about foiling tax and how you could do this this better and everything else. It's kind of, it's pretty hard case. Dean Barker is a name that is synonymous, synonymous, synonymous. Dean Barker is a name closely associated with yachting in New Zealand, especially the America's Cup. When you think of that event in particular, his name is up there with Coots and Butterworth back in the day and now Burling and Chuk. Unfortunately... Dean Barker is probably remembered most for being the Team New Zealand skipper when we were on the receiving end of one of the greatest comebacks in sporting history. Remember that? San Francisco, 2013. Team New Zealand was up 8-1. Then we ended up losing to Jimmy Spittle's Oracle boat by nine races to eight. Like slowly bleeding to death, it was awful. We reflect on that period in great detail in this conversation. And I can't thank Dean enough for doing that because it was a hard watch 10 years ago as a New Zealand yachting fan. I can't imagine how difficult it was being the captain on the boat. We also chat at length about Dean's battle with bowel cancer recently. Bowel cancer, by the way, is the most commonly reported cancer in New Zealand and probably, I'd say, one of the least talked about cancers. As a country, we have 3,000 cases and 1,200 deaths each year. Dean has always struck me as being like an old school Kiwi guy, stoic, strong, silent, intensely private. So I really appreciate him coming on the podcast and being so open about some really personal and really painful stuff. Thank you very much to Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. Even before they jumped on board as a sponsor, I was a fan of their products. Now their protein powder is part of my daily nutrition plan. Every morning without fail, weekends included, wherever I am, that's how I start the day. But they are so much more than just protein and smoothie powders. Check out their website to learn more about this Kiwi company doing very special things in the nutrition realm. Radix.co.nz. That's R-A-D-I-X. Radix.co.nz. All right, let's get into it. Dean Barker on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hey, Runners Only. Yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady. Anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners Only. Yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady. Anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Runners only with Dom Harvey and Dean Barker. G'day, mate. Hey, Dom. How are you? I'm very well. I, I can't thank you enough for coming over. I feel like you're one of these people. Most people in New Zealand are familiar with the name or the face. Maybe people see you out and about and they're like, I know that face from somewhere because that's how long you've you've been around. But I feel like no one knows a lot of, lot about you. You are, by design, like a reasonably private guy. So I was honoured when you agreed to come on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's good. Nice to uh, nice to be able to sit and have a chat with you. We've uh, we've always, you know, Mandy and I've always been, you know, probably respected our privacy a lot. You know, um, you know, obviously we're very fortunate. We've had a lot of, I guess, public interest in different things that we've been doing. You know, with the sports and things over the years. Um, you know, and as you said, I guess start to, um, you know, maybe not be as active in the sporting 
front and things. You know, it's still been you know, amazing the support that we've we've had. You know, over the years. You were here. This chat was organised by Bowel Cancer NZ, um, which has become a charity that you've sort of become. I, I don't know. I suppose you've sort of attached your your face to. It's probably something you'd rather not. But you know, you ended up in this position where you had bowel cancer, so you're using your name uh, and your reputation for for good, which is fantastic. Yeah, it was um, it was quite an interesting one. Um, you know, obviously, I, uh, at the time when I sort of went through that, all the bowel cancer. Um, diagnosis and treatment and things we were up in the US at the time um, you know we, we very much kept it a, a very private thing you know it was only a lot of you know very close friends and family that uh, sort of knew anything about it um, it was a year ago really where uh, I saw the promotion around the movie Buck campaign um, with Jenny May Coffin sort of um, fronting it and really felt quite compelled to to try to to do a little bit in some way to help raise awareness around bowel cancer um, because it is a very curable disease if it's um, caught early enough and uh, and I think the the biggest motivation is you know like I was very very lucky because we had really good access to um, the medical profession up in in the US you know as a result of being involved with the, the America's Cup team. Um, yeah, so you were involved with um, American Magic at the time. Yeah, I was with yeah. American Magic, and so you know we got really good access to uh, to the different doctors and things. And because we're able to get onto it early, um, it, it gave me a much better chance to um, you know to be able to uh, deal with it, fight it, and um, and hopefully you know go on and have a sort of a full mm-hmm. full and long life. But it's um, you know unfortunately. Yeah, the Kiwi sort of attitude, you know, male, Kiwi male attitude of that should be right, mate. Um, it isn't always uh, isn't always the case, you know. And and I think um, you know the one thing that I've learned over over it all and everything else has just been able, you know, being aware of your body, listening to your body, and mm. if something's not right, go and get checked. Yeah, have you been mostly good at that, or do you think you've you know you're ashamed to say you're a little been a little bit shit with it? I'm I'm shit with it, you know. Like yeah. I've I've always been that way, you know. You sort of. Um, you know, you just always think, oh, yeah, fit, healthy, whatever it might be, and that you'll be able to deal with it, uh, whatever it might be. Um, in this particular case, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't something that, um, you know, was just going to come right. You know, I noticed a bit of blood in my stool, which is, you know, obviously not one of those things that you're normally comfortable talking about. And after, it, you know, it had been there for, what, three, four weeks, you know, I finally actually did something about it. Three to four weeks? Okay, so I was planning on um, doing this podcast in sort of chronological order, going all the way back and then working our way yeah, through. Sure, but yeah. so, so, since, since we're there already, we may as well um, stick with it. Yeah, sorry, so, sorry to sort of jump. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's great, and I think it's a really good message, so it's probably good to get this done at, at the start before yeah, sure. we get to the fun stuff of your life. Yeah, so, so you're training with America Magic, getting ready for the America's Cup campaign, and then you so say you're not feeling unwell? You've just got blood in your stool. Uh, what, was, what was really stupid with the whole thing as I've probably had never felt fitter than I, I had at the time I'd been training you know really enjoying the training we'd been busy with the sailing um, we we're in the process of moving from our summer training base which is in Newport Rhode Island and we would um, so uh, with Mandy and the kids we were relocating we so we're doing the uh, drive down through the US to Pensacola and Florida uh, Red, Redneck Riviera so that was um, <laughs> that was pretty pretty good so we had a four drive a four day drive down there but it was I'd sort of noticed a little, a few little things going on just um, before we left Newport. Um, still going on when we got to Pensacola, you know, still, still there, and it was like, well, uh, I'll go and go and see the doctor and um, and just you know try and figure out what was going on. So it was, um, 
Yeah, again, it was one of those things where you just sort of thought, no, I'm, I'm fit, healthy, eating well, sleeping well, you know, everything was kind of normal, but... Um, You're feeling fine. Feeling fine, yeah. yeah there, was, there, was no, there was nothing else going on. So did, you, did you say anything to Mandy, your wife? Like, oh, I've got some... Bl-. No. No, because it, it's one but of those you, things that's a bit embarrassing. You know, like you sort of... Even, yeah, even though yeah. it's sort of, you know, because you sort of think, oh... But you, but you know that if you, if you said to your wife, oh, there's, there's, there's blood in my, in my shit... She's probably going to make you go to the doctor immediately, right? She, she would have, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just one of those really, you know, it's hard to explain. You, you yeah. Sort of, it, it's sort of, it's there, it feels, you know, it, it's sort of not, you know, a great uh, dinner table discussion. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, you, um, you just do. Just keep it to yours. Yeah, and, and you sort of think, oh, I'm sure it'll sort itself out. And, um, you know, and so it, it didn't. And then so... I sort of started the process. You didn't Google it on your phone or anything? Like if you Google like your blood install on, on your phone, the result's never going to be good. No, and, and I didn't. Um, again, probably because in a little bit of denial, sort of thinking, well, it's probably just, yeah, it'll be nothing, it'll go away, and then we'll back to normal. But, um, you know, the, the, where I became a Google doctor was sort of a little bit you know, further down the track after... You know, I'd sort of been through the process of um, seeing the gastronomical doctor, the colonoscopy, and, and everything after mm. else after that. There's parallels between um, your story and Lance Armstrong, the, the the cyclist. Like he, yeah, hopefully not quite. <laughs> not, too, not too many parallels, but yeah. No, um, early, early on, he, so he um, famously had uh, testicular cancer, and uh, if you, if you, you read his book, he talks about his like testicles like swelling to the size of grapefruits, and he's just constantly used to being in pain from being on the saddle six to seven hours a day. So just ignored it and kept on riding through. Similarities there. I wonder if it's a, like a high performance sort of thing where you guys are just used to. Um, yeah, but, you know, for for me again, there was there was no negative sort of impacts mm. of of you know what I was dealing with. So it wasn't like um, you know, I felt unwell, needed to go and yeah. get checked out or anything. It was just purely like a you know just almost like a um, a side effect sort of thing that was just sort of in the background and. But yeah, just didn't th- didn't really think too much of it. You get on the um the medical treadmill. You go and see a doctor. You have that initial conversation. When does it become apparent that things are bad? The hard, in some ways, the frustrating thing was that you know the the doctors were incredibly upbeat the whole way through, and I oh, know you'll be fine. This is just um you know so the gastronomical doctor said it's probably uh, probably just hemorrhoids. Um, and you, yeah, you go away sort of thinking, oh, great, you know, but he go, out of precaution, we'll get you in for a colonoscopy, and that was going to be three months down the track. Um, so, you know, clearly there was no urgency on his side. Yeah. And um, uh, so then I went back and saw the doctor who was sort of aligned with the, the American Magic team. He said, no, it's not, not okay. We want, we want to push this through. So with his contacts, you know, I was in getting a colonoscopy the following week. And um, so you're in there. Um, what does what does that involve, by the way? So the the colonoscopy, it's sort of you know like everyone thinks of it, and probably in the worst worst way, you know, basically they're putting a tube, you know, uh, up through into your colon just to sort of like look at the colon lining and you know mm. around the bowel just to see. Uh, well, typically, you know, if they they see the the form the start of um, potential sort of tumours or whatever, they call them polyps. Yeah. Um, and during a colonoscopy, normally they would um, they'd remove those while they're while they're there. You know, so it's very um, you basically uh, have a, a laxative for a day or so before the um, the process, just to clean clear you out, yeah. clear you out, and then you basically um, you know you, they put you under for probably forty five minutes, maybe an hour. You know, like tops, um, and you're sort of done and dusted, and and so you know you you wake up in the recovery room and. 
the um, you know the the doctor will normally you know just tell you then and there what you know what the state of um, play was and and so um, yeah so when I I got my one um, there you know sort of the going into it the guy said I oh, know you'll be fine you know nothing to worry about I wake up and he said oh look unfortunately we've found a tumour. Um, he sort of like talks about where it is in the colon and and you know shows you a few little of the images that they they take when they uh, they're doing it. So you know that was kind of a quite a big shock. But yeah, then, what's that moment like? Did the room start spinning? What were you? Well, you're still sedated a bit, you know. So you're probably drowsy. not thinking, yeah, yeah, not thinking yeah. that clearly. But where where it really I think became quite emotional, or where it really sort of um, it, it sunk in. The doctor then said, look, I think it would be really good because, you know, normally if you've got bowel cancer, if it's going to move to other parts of the body, it's normally the liver and lungs. You know, that's with um, bowel cancer. Mm. And so they, they wanted to do a CT scan, which um, so they put a contrast in um, and then they they basically just check your organs just to see whether there's any other areas. In your, and you're sitting there thinking, wow, you know, so I've got a tumour. Um, more than likely it is a... Uh, it is a you know a cancerous tumor, and uh, and then straight away it's like you know where else in the body is it, um, or you know has it has it actually uh, moved moved anywhere mm. else? And so the relief of when I got the call from the uh, the doctor saying, look, you know the CT scans have been uh, been checked, and and looks like you know all your organs are clear. So you know that was like a huge oh, huge relief, huge relief. You know, still you know obviously got this tumor, but it's um, but at least. It hasn't sort of... It's been ring-fenced. Yeah, mm. yeah. And so that was kind of a, the first time, you know, you really, you know, did feel quite emotional about it. And um, So what sort of period of time is this happening over? So you get told you've got tumours, it's probably cancerous, we've got to check these other organs. Is this, this, like this, over? this is within a week. Yeah. Oh, okay. All within a week of seeing the, the, you know, being told by the gastronomical doctor that, um, that it was probably just hemorrhoids. So, you know, like you've gone from there to there. So now now they're sitting there with this tumour... Um, I think it was about a week later. Uh, again, the the doctor was just phenomenal, and mm. so he he found this um, surgeon up in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, which is probably not a place too many people have uh, been to. But um, <laughs> so we we're up there for Thanksgiving weekend. Um, so my daughter, who was boarding uh, up in uh, Massachusetts at a uh, school there, she was down for the Thanksgiving break. So you know, we broke the news to them that, that we we're going on a family holiday to Birmingham, Alabama. Um, <laughs> um, you know, at that stage, we we just didn't we didn't have it on us to really tell the kids that are, you know that um, that I had a cancer. So, was, so you, you you and Mandy made the decision to keep it from them. Yeah, we we said that I was having a um, having a like a small surgery, right. but just because you know the problem is you know everyone thinks of cancer as a you know it's a death sentence and it and it doesn't need to be you mm. know like um, obviously there's some some worse than others uh, in that respect, but um, but you know fortunately with bowel cancer it is it is curable if it's if it's dealt with early enough. So mm. we needed more information before we, you know really wanted to to mm. go you know into the detail with them. Um, so we went up there. Uh, you're basically in hospital for four days while they, you know, they, they remove the um, the tumor and you know let the colon repair enough, and then uh, we're back down to Pensacola. Um, so the surgeon was great. You know, he he basically they did it with like robotic robotic surgery, which is um, you know allows even faster sort of repair time. Um, so. After the operation, he basically said, look, we, we're going to, uh, so we've taken the tumour out, all went really well, we've taken 24 lymph nodes um, around the site just to see whether there's any um, 
anything there, um, just more out of precaution than anything. But yeah, you, you won't you won't need anything further. And so you sort of think, oh, this is good. You know, we've sort of done the hard work now, and you know, get through the recovery and, and be be fine. But unfortunately, you, the wait for um, the biopsy on the lymph nodes was about a week. So you know, you're just sitting there, oh, just hanging of, in limbo, hanging. Yeah, and it was really that was quite tough and um what, what were you doing that were you were you just in recovery you know like you, you're yeah. still because you know it's quite you know it's quite a, a decent sort of surgery you know sure. they you know you, you're not really that mobile for a, a few days um you know you're slowly building back up back still doing a bit of walking and things but um so yeah we're out walking the dog and uh mandy and i and then um yeah we get the phone call to say look uh, unfortunately you know the six of the lymph nodes have um got uh cancer uh your signs of cancer, and so you're going to need to uh, most likely go and do, do the chemo. So, you know, now you're in, you know, you're going to see the oncologist and um, sort of all of that that kind of thing from there. And so, you know, Thanksgiving is end of November. Um, there was an opportunity to try and start the chemo by sort of mid to late December. Um, and with the uh, with the, the type of chemo that I had, they in the US, particularly, they were really keen to do um, the, to do it via a port. So they they put like a um, like a little tap. Yeah, so it, it sort of just sits below the skin. So they 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 put it in there. It's sort of like a got a rubber membrane where they just sort of pin a um, like an IV into into that membrane and tape it in place. And so with the I had um, had to go on. It was like twelve rounds of chemo um, every two weeks. So you'd go. I'd go in on a Monday and you'd go in the infusion. Sweet, and that um, uh, you you sat there for like six or seven hours, just you know, they put in you know steroids and anti nausea meds and things, and then they'd start the chemo, and then they'd give you a, a pump, which is like a man bag you'd take with you, and you know, you'd have that with you for two days, and that was just like a slow release of chemo. Go back in on the Wednesday, they'd take it out, and then you had ten days to sort of um, recover before the next, um, you know, the next uh, round, and. Yeah, so that was uh, how, yeah. How did you find the, the chemo experience? I've had um, uh, Di Henwood on the podcast, who's oh, um, yeah, you yeah, know, he's got stage four cancer at the moment, and he talked about um, just how misleading the perception with chemo can be because people see movies and they see someone that's bald and throwing up, and he said the reality for him was quite different. Like uh, he, he was doing seven days and some other shows like that with um, a chemo bag hanging off him. How was your experience? Um, it, it was an interesting one. It's a, it's, I found it very uh, sort of a cumulative effect. Um, mm-hmm. The first one or two were um, were remarkably sort of uh, okay. Um, I think every chemo, every treatment, you know, is is different. The cocktail and things, and so you, you know, some mm-hmm. people you know like fly through it. Other people definitely uh, battle. And um, my experience with it was. Um, yeah, it was a challenge. Mentally, I think mentally more than anything, it was it was very challenging because you're just constantly feeling, um, you know, feeling shit. You know, you, you the chemo would sort of kick in um, by you know, so the you'd, the pump would be out by the Wednesday. Normally, the Wednesday Thursday were just you know the worst days, and I was trying to carry on with the uh, the training with the team. So I'd, uh, go and do the sailing and things. I'd sort of there was always that goal to be back sailing with them by the Saturday or the Sunday. Um, and to to have that sort of, I guess, a motivation was really good because it sort of a took your focus off, you know, what was going on, you know, because it'd be very easy just to sit there feeling sorry for yourself. Mm. I think definitely being able to get out there and sort of uh, really sort of just keep pushing on with different things was a was a really um, like a nice motivating thing, thing. Really motivating, yeah. Because yeah. you know 
you're there, you're, you're, you're doing the chemo, you, you, know, you know you're doing it to try and kill anything that's left in your body. So to be able to fight it and, and actually be motivated to, to do that mm-hmm. as opposed to sort of sitting there thinking about dying, it's like, you know, it's quite a different prospect because, you know, you've really got chemo in different ways. It might be there just purely to extend someone's life or or in my you know, case and, you know, everyone else that in that same position where they've got the ability to sort of keep mm-hmm. fighting it, then, yeah. you know, you're, um, you, know you, you probably go on with quite a different attitude to it. Were, were there moments where, where you were thinking, this is it, this is a matter of life and death? Um, not really, because, you know, like I think, because the doctors have been very upbeat about it all and, and had been, you know, you know, very clear that it was, uh, this was a, um, you know, preventative more than anything, you know, the, the, the main cancer had been removed with a tumour, yes, it was in the lymph, the chemo should um, be able to kill anything that was um, was left in the body, and and so you, I think the attitude for me was much more of look, you know, you've got the opportunity to fight it, and if you know, while you've got that chance, you you really want to, and yeah. it, but you know, God, it changes your uh, your perspective very very quickly on on life because you know before then you sort of think you you know you're, you're bulletproof and you know um, you're fit yeah. healthy. You know, like you touched on before, the Google Doctor type thing. You um, when you start looking at um, who's likely to get bowel cancer, it's you know it's normally elderly, overweight, um, smoking, drinking. You know, like all the boxes that you just don't tick. Mm. Um, and so then you, you you start questioning why. You know, why why me? You know, mm. why what have what have you done wrong in in, in life to to sort of to have that? Mm. You know. Um, and I really think a big part of it, you know, because the only thing I can think of is it can only be stress. You know, like there's just, it, it, you just can't, you know, you can't rationalise it with any other thing, you know. So that was kind of where I got to in my head. Jeez, were there lots of tears over that time? I, I appreciate you being here and I understand you're real private, so you may not even want to go there. But I'm like, I'm, I, I'm just imagining myself if I was in your shoes and uh, like going home from the doctor and you know telling my partner the bad news like a, <laughs> I'd just crumble like a like a fucking mess yeah <laughs> um there's def- there was definitely times you know where it was very emotional um I think uh, you know one one of the worst was or probably the time that was almost the relief was when I got the result of that first CT mm. scan um because you're just dealing with all of this information and not really sure um where it probably was going to uh, going to end up, so that was probably the the first time. Um, certainly, well, it was quite emotional finding out that you know you you were you, that you you hadn't sort of finished the journey. You, I was going to have to go through the chemo, so that was um, another time. The uh, the last time I went back in uh, to get the the pump removed um, after I finished the six months of chemo, that was. You know, that was you get mm. to ring ring this bell um, in in the infusion you know suite and you know like I don't know it's just it was just sort of like you know thank God that's over you know like it was just one of those things where you know you do it you you want to fight it you know but it, it wear, it's wearing you down and mm. just in the end you know like to to get through it it's just you know it was it's a huge um, yeah it was a huge relief so you know but it's just. There's different, you know, it's just different times where you you do feel yeah. quite emotionally uh, drained, you know, with it all. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Was was Mandy furious when 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 she realised you'd had blood in your stall for all this time and you hadn't told her? Was well, she mad? 
well, I hadn't, you know, because I was still probably almost a little bit ashamed or embarrassed, you know, not for whatever reason, I'd, um, I, I hadn't even told her when I'd been to the gastronomical doctor, you know, to go and see see him originally, and, and then, you know, because he, he wasn't concerned, I hadn't actually said anything, and it wasn't until the the doctor said, look, I'm going to push the um, the colonoscopy forwards, um, she was at, she was just flying back up to um, Newport because we were, had to relocate all our um, furniture and stuff out of our house, and um, so she was actually back up there, so she wasn't even around when... Um, uh, when I did the colonoscopy, mm. um, and so coming out of that, you know, it was a huge, I guess, shock and yeah. probably a reality check for for both of us. So, um, yeah, but she, yeah, she she wasn't happy that I hadn't, <laughs> thought, I hadn't told her too much about it. But it was. Um, I feel like it's just what what you. It's, it, this is what I expect, Dean. But like all I know about you is what we see on TV, on usually in boat races, and you seem like a just a, like a strong, stoic guy. And to hear that you're like that at home as well. Um, I feel like it's gonna like you're, you're still young and there's still so much life to live. Do you feel like it's gonna gonna change you as a person moving forward? Like you will be more open and more vulnerable. And um, yeah, I think uh, well, there's there's a number of things that you know that have changed. Probably you know, like you definitely have a very different different outlook on life. You mm. you know that you need you know you you, you want to enjoy life while you can. You know because you just don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. And I think it's probably that's been probably the biggest uh, reality check is that. You know, we've got um, got four kids, you know, and they're all different stages of, you know, what they're doing and you want to be around for them. And, um, yeah, there's just so many different things where it just sort of makes you take a step back and, you know, make, makes you probably rethink, um, you know, life in general. And, and it's, you know, I know it's, yeah, it all sounds a bit silly, but it, at the same time, you know, because you, you get a, a bit of a, a wake-up call, um you definitely start approaching things very differently in what you do every day. Yeah, yeah, I can I can imagine. So, um, so you're sitting here now. It's um, Bell Cancer New Zealand Month, June 2023. How are you feeling now? You all clear physically? You're 100. percent Yeah. Well, I, I have um, uh, I've got a I have a six monthly checkup. So with a surgeon, um, so I go and see him. You know, after uh, so. End of twenty one, I had to get a uh, like a, it was a um, had a small tumor on my lung which I had to get removed, and that was you know fortunately you know not that it was it was a good thing, but fortunately it was the same cancer as from the bowel, so that it had actually had moved around the body. So even though the chemo had probably tried to to um, get it, it, it hadn't. So, mm-hmm. but um, but you know in terms of the scans and things you know since they've all been clear. Um, you know, my my scans. You know, I do them yearly, so yearly colonoscopy, yearly uh, CT. Um, they typically fall due around sort of September, October, uh, around that time of year. So it's always quite a a tense time because you just, mm. you know, even though you feel good and you feel like you're doing everything as you should, you never really know. Um, but uh, the good thing is early diagnosis. You know, still gives you another you know another opportunity to to fight it, but. But yeah, I feel I feel really um, really good. Uh, yeah, probably don't train quite as hard as I used to, but um, um, and and that's probably more just not being involved in the the teams and the, the same day to day racing. Yeah, 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 you know, where which was, you know, just really drove that discipline. So having a motivation like uh, Move Your Butt Month is um, mm. is actually quite a good thing. You know, just to you know encourages you know, uh, encourages me to sort of. Um, get more active again um, because it is easy to sort of 
to not. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, this is probably like a good a good time to you know compartmentalize this and move on to some other stuff. But yeah, what, what's the key messaging? I know um, there's some shocking stats, like three people die every day in New Zealand from bowel cancer. Um, but what do we need to be looking out for for early detection? Well, you know, this, the the main symptoms, you know, I think um, you know, change in bowel habits is a you know is quite a big one. You know, obviously blood in the stool. Bowel um, habits in terms of like frequency or yeah 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 like. Yeah. Um, you know, like if you if you, if you really notice a big change and you know just I guess what you know your normal sort of um, bowel habits, you know, like it's just you know it, it's normally it's just again it's just your body trying to tell you something. And um, you know, my experience was obviously the blood, um, and so um, you know you, you you hear people that ignore it like like I did, um, and you know obviously that's not a not a great thing. So again, you know, it's the you know making sure that if, if you if you do have you know that sort of thing going on then you you do go and get it checked out mm. um you know there's there's other symptoms you know where um you know discomfort in the abdomen you know there's just other other areas and things but yeah you know, i'm just not going to listen to your body better i think that that's yeah. that's probably the, the key message of anything is like if you if you don't feel right for whatever reason then you know if, and if it's persisting you know you definitely want to go and get checked because mm. it yeah, the body is, you know, it's probably your uh, your best, um, yeah, best gauge of uh, what's going on. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a cheesy saying that people say that if it helps one person, then it's been worthwhile. But I think what you are doing by being involved with this campaign, especially knowing how private you are, um, I think it could save a lot of lives. Um, well, you know, the motivation was, as you say, you know, like to to try and you know, like um, help raise awareness around yeah. bowel cancer because it's. Yeah, again, I, 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 you know, the the one thing for me which was really, you know, it's probably the the key message that I got out of it is, is bowel cancer is curable, um, it is treatable if you get onto it early, and um, so you know, like, it's not a, it's not, you know, there's, there's no, no, none of these diseases are, are, are pleasant. Um, mm. Bell cancer is certainly not a, a sexy disease by any means, um, <laughs> you know, and but. Um, yeah, it's like not being afraid to, to sort of put your hand up and, and ask for help because it's, yeah. um, you know, I think being able to talk to your partner or whatever, like, you know, it wasn't something that I, I did a good job of, but I think just to be able to, I guess, you know, talk about it and um, and then, you know, hopefully that leads to a, a good outcome. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're okay now. Yeah, no, thank That's you. That's really cool. Yeah, cheers, now, you were the same age as me. You turned 50 recently, right? Yeah. Yeah, did, yeah, 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 yeah. So... Your dad is Ray Barker, who started like Barker's Men's Clothing. When I'm trying to remember when that came about. Was it during your teenage years? When did so, Barker's begin? Um, so uh, dad started Barker's uh, back in 1972. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, so, so like the year before you were born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so um, he'd always had a, I don't know, a focus on, on uh, men's fashion, even back in, the, in those days. And, you know, they, they had a you know fantastic sort of... Um, Introduction. He and a, uh, another guy, Jeff Parsonson. You know, they sort of teamed up in the early days, and they uh, basically built it up from nothing. I think it started off as Raymonds uh, or co- collars and cuffs, then Raymonds, um, and then uh, yeah, then became Barker's Male Boutique, and then uh, and then became Barker's. So it's um, yeah, it it was quite it was really interesting, you know, just to see it all grow, and you know. Uh, over the years, you know, like I, I never really had a strong um, affiliation with with fashion. It wasn't really a a big big sort of focus. Uh, <laughs> you no, know, like I, I was obviously really, you know, really proud of what he yeah. uh, what he, yeah. he he did with it all. But 
you know, I probably didn't have the same mm. sort of uh, DNA, you know, like in terms of uh, really following the fashion brand. And um, but yeah, it sort of grew and grew, and you know, I think when it was probably in my my opinion at its absolute sort of best was you know like back in the days where you know every uni student was wearing a pair of Barker's trackies oh, I was going to bring like that up so this is when again we're the same age so when you were maybe 16, 17, 18, 19 I, I, I was going to ask if this was like a regional thing because I was in Palmerston North you know Massey University everybody was wearing like grey Barker's track <laughs> pants they were like the must have must have item in every person's wardrobe. Oh yeah, they were awesome. You know, like um, you know, completely impractical these days. But uh, you know, like um, but yeah, you know, my my wardrobe I had the short version of it, the long. <laughs> you know, like and you just you know it was uh, it was great. But um, um, yeah, but it was one of those things where it was just it was, it, at one point in time it was just such a uh, you know, a trendy thing. You know, to for all all the students around New Zealand. So no, it was really cool. Oh, they were amazing. was really given the choice, you know, parents wanted me to do something, so it was either Sunday school or uh, or, or, or a Sunday school is in like church. So, uh, yeah, so it was um, so it was best to uh, go go down to the local <laughs> yacht club. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we went down there and, you know, like even at first I didn't really love it, um, but, you know, very quickly it sort of started to grow. And What do you, what do you mean you didn't love it? Oh, I had a couple of bad experiences, you know, you sort of, because it, it, it's very, it's a weird sensation when you first get into it, Um you feel like incredibly isolated. You're in a little boat on your own. Yeah, obviously there's other there's other boats oh, around yeah, and you know yeah. support you know coach boats and things. But but you're um, yeah you're sort of out there and you know it's quite a it's quite a weird sensation. You know that you're sort of responsible for this you know, this little boat and trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the wind and you know getting whacked in the head with a boom and you know it's just um, <laughs> um, and and for some people just you know like a, a natural fear of um, fear of water. Yeah. You know, like some people just don't feel comfortable been away from the shore or you know been in deep water and so uh yeah um but i had a couple of bad experiences just got stuck you know got stuck in the middle of lake pupuki at one stage you know where it was just couldn't couldn't turn the boat around and get back to shore and you sort of start panicking <laughs> you, know, you know what could go wrong there but it's um uh but yeah over time you know and just sort of a little bit of um perseverance and things you know just sort of 
got a um, got the confidence back, and really just sort of um, built from there on. It started off just sort of being you know fun, going hanging out down at Murray's Bay with uh, with all of the you know the other kids and things, building up these friendships. Um, you know, once you sort of mastered all the sort of the the learn to sail type training, then you you were able to go and start doing a bit of racing, and, and even though. You know, to begin with, it wasn't sort of incredibly successful. It was still great to participate and be part of it, and um, yeah, it sort of quickly grew into something that I was getting more and more passionate about. So, not not much natural talent, just a lot of hard work. It was yeah, I'd say a lot of hard yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, you know, I was quite young versus the generation of the kids that I came through with. Um, so I was sort of always on the, the the younger end of it. So always. You know, for a long time, just sort of always trying to catch up to the the level of these um, the the kids who are sort of probably one, two, three years older than I was. And uh, but I think in, in the end that was a huge benefit because you were sort of always trying to pit yourself against these kids that you know at that, that age, you know, when you're sort of going particularly through that sort of twelve to sixteen, seventeen years of age sort of um, period, two or three years of uh, of age is a huge amount of maturity, mm, and and so. Yeah. Um, it was it was great to be able to, you know, sort of always be challenged to to be at the same level as as these other competitors that I was sailing against, and you know they end up being great friends, but also you know really um, strong competitors. And so you know, you, as a club, Murray's Bay Sailing Club was was incredibly strong, and uh, it was generation after generation of really um, good sailors that sort of came through. You know the. You know, Ray Davies was sort of uh, there was a year year ahead of me. Another guy, Hamish Pepper. There was another guy, Je- Jeff Senior. You know, either being part of Team New Zealand or you know heavily involved in other sailing um, around the place. And you know, we were very fortunate to have you know guys like Russell uh, Coates come and do some coaching at the club, and you know a lot of other really strong um, people as well. So you know, we were immersed with you know like when you look back now with you know some fantastic talent there, mm. but also. You know, some very strong uh, coaching support. Yeah. So when when did you first meet Russell Coates? Because he he sort of shoulder tapped you in and and got you into Team New Zealand when you were in your early twenties, right? Yeah. But yeah, did so he st- first see you as like a teen or? Um, yeah. So oh, in, in the young, you know, so young days, probably when I was twelve, thirteen, he was he came to Murray's Bay a couple of times coaching. Right. Um, so could he see something in you then, or no? No. Were you just well, like another I don't kid? Know, and probably a, just another kid. But but it was what was interesting though. So Dad. Um, so through Barkers, they they sponsored Russell in his '84 um, uh, Olympic campaign when he when he won his gold medal in in LA, and uh, he came round after he got back. You know, he had the medal. You know, came around home, and it was it was pretty cool. You know, and you sort of, um, yeah, he, he was sort of like an, an idol at that stage. He was young, and you know, mm. he'd obviously incredibly motivated and obviously very talented. Um, yeah, and so then you know he was doing some coaching at. Um, down at Murray's Bay from time to time, and yeah, I, I still remember. You know, he was just like, just, you know, forcing us out there in strong winds, and you know, everything else, and everyone out looking around, going, "Geez, you, you're sure about this?" But you know, you could just sort of <laughs> see just that that attitude towards it was really uh, probably, you know, just that focus on being, you know, being successful. When did when did you first like join Team New Zealand? So myself and Hamish Pepper, so we were both yeah. you know competing against each other in lasers and things. So in ninety. Three, we both got asked to, to join and do a bit of uh, sailing with the, the team uh, here in New Zealand. So they had two boats. So they were basically, they were, uh, you know, with Peter Blake, they'd formed this new uh, outfit, um, Team New Zealand. So it was sort of, it morphed on from the 92 campaign. Um, and, yeah, so 
we did some sailing. Uh, really enjoyed you know all the racing and things we were doing on the boats. Um, got asked to to go and sail on the B boat and be involved um, in San Diego, but I was at that stage I was still. Uh, yeah, content with sticking with my own sailing, you know, doing uh, the different Olympic sort of type boats and things. And uh, yeah, so I, I didn't end up going going to San Diego, but you know, it was obviously fantastic to see you know Team New Zealand go up there and and be successful, win the win the cup for the first time, bring it back to New Zealand, and then um, got involved with the team again in uh, in '96. Yeah, when right. they when they uh, when they came back '96 was that here in New Zealand? Yeah, so the the so when I got involved yeah, yeah. in '96, it was it was leading up to the 2000 campaign. Right. So, yeah, so the team was sort of based was based back here, sort of slowly ramped the operation back up, and then, you know, I think by '96, '97, I think you know the, the team was fully operational uh, back here in, in New Zealand. Right. So. so that's is that the time where um, Russell Coots and Brad Butterworth they uh, they left New Zealand and went to Alingi. Was yeah, yeah. So that was so that was after the two thousand cup, right? Yeah, okay. So, so immediately after the cup, you know, um, yeah, well, well, you know, we're, we're all probably still partying. They obviously at that stage had you know had formed an alliance with um, Ernesto uh, Bitterelli, who you know he's obviously synonymous with with the cup through Alingi and you know through the um, you know obviously winning the cup in two thousand and three, defending it in 07 and then. Um, yeah, now now they're back in the cup again. Uh, mm. Twenty years on, Shit, that was a disgraceful time, eh? What are you, what are your recollections of that time? Oh, obviously, it was good for you because it meant you got bumped up to be captain. But as a friend of like Russell Coots and I'm guessing Brad Butterworth, they um, you you look back now and the way they were they were treated, it was absolutely disgraceful, right? Oh, it was yeah. No, it was um, yeah. I think the hard thing was is that. You know, I think when Team New Zealand finished the the cup in two thousand, it was like a it was very hard to see how another team was ever going to be able to to topple the the group that was assembled. There was so much experience, there was so much uh, skill. Personally, for me, it was like you know hard to imagine how anyone would ever want to leave. Um, mm. And so when it all started to you know to unravel, and all these billionaires suddenly got them, you know, they they're all down here. They watch the cup. They're on their super yachts and. Probably all thought, well, this is you know something. <laughs> we should yeah, get into this. <laughs> yeah, this, this is probably you know it's, it's pretty cheap and easy. So let's uh, let's you know let's get amongst it. So how much do we have to pay them on? That's nothing. Yeah, exactly. And so you know you know we obviously a lingi was formed. There was one world. There was um, oh, it's like three or four you know these sort of billionaire back teams and um, Oracle. It was when they they came in with Larry Ellison. And yeah, so the the quickest way for them to get up to speed was to to basically buy the talent and the experience, and um, which is I guess normal in any other sport in the world. It's just you know for sailing and for America's Cup, and I guess passionate Kiwis, it was hard to probably rationalise. So um, yeah, personally, it was really disappointing just to see the, the the team fall apart. Yes, it was a great opportunity, and you know we you know just sat there thinking, well, you know this is going to be. Um, it's going to be a big job, but you know it was it was incredibly exciting. But you know we were a young and very inexperienced group that was left behind. You know trying to basically rebuild, carry on the yeah. sort of the, I guess you know what the the team had achieved over the past sort of um, five or so years. It was uh, yeah, it was it was quite daunting. <laughs> um, so 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 at, at the time when you're in Team New Zealand, are you sort of thinking as well those bastards leaving for them the big money? I couldn't understand. You know, like because I was young and just you know probably didn't really see you know the, the bigger picture you know at the time I was I was you know I was obviously really disappointed because it you know 
working alongside Russell and Brad, that was that was a fantastic experience. All the other guys that that were in that sort of group, you know, that um, that brought all of this, you know, amazing sort of uh, you know, pool of talent, you know, together. It was it was really like it was such an incredible experience. And so to mm-hmm. see it dismantle and and you know disperse to all these different teams, it was it was really hard to kind of rationalise, but. Yeah, coming back to what you said earlier, no, it was disgraceful, you know, the way they were treated. You know, they maybe they didn't, you know, probably leave on the, the best of terms, you know, in the way it was done. But, you know, in the end, it's sort of, you know, everyone does what they need to do, right? And it's... Um, yeah, you've got to look after your family and look after yourself. Yeah, and so, you know, it, it's it's easy to see it all now. And, you know, I think it's uh, it's obviously fantastic that Russell was, you know, uh, recognised for, you know, the service that he did provide, mm-hmm. you know, to New Zealand when... Yeah, by bringing the cut back and everything else. Yeah, time softens a lot of opinions, doesn't it? Um, but to, to think that this was like pre-social media as well. But I, I just remember the weight of the backlash at the time. It was well, you know, there was that, um, the what they, um, black black heart or black yeah black heart or yeah, you know, like right. campaign. Yeah. It was just like terrible, you know. And yeah, it's bullying, really. Yeah, so today's lens. Um, so the, so then you become you become captain. So how do you? So you were like thir- just late twenties at the time. Yeah. So in so two thousand, uh, I was twenty seven um, or 20, going on twenty seven, and yeah. So the next cup was thirty. You know when um, in oh three. So, uh, so that was where uh, we lost to a Lingy 5-0. Just going back, so we're talking about Russell Coots and Brad Butterworth. It feels like um, then with the boats the way they were, maybe it was more about the sailor than the boat. Would that be? A, I don't know anything about yachting, but would that be a fair thing to say? Whereas now it feels like if you've got the fastest boat, you, you're probably going to win. Yeah, there's no question that they, they were a very strong team. You know, we, we raced against um, uh, Russell and Brad and Nesto, you know, two or three times on the match racing circuit leading into uh, the Auckland uh, defence in 2003 and you know I think in two of the regattas we you know we beat them and you know it was we definitely felt like we we're on a on a you know pretty um pretty good sort of uh, position relative to them in terms yeah. of the sailing yeah the America's Cup is a is a, a, a typical I think almost bar none has always ended up being won by the fastest boat right. um you know while the boats were very close in performance you know they they did still have a, a small speed advantage um in 2007, 2003, you know, they, they definitely had a better boat. You know, they were faster. They they had sort of uh, stumbled onto some, you know, like a bit of a design um, gain uh, with the hull design, which, you know, we were still very much in the uh, the same family of boats mm. that, that had won in uh, 92, 95 and, you know, and 2000, whereas mm. 2003 they'd sort of taken quite a different approach and actually found a, a design which, you know, gave them... A pretty, um, pretty decent advantage across you know a lot of the conditions. Like how do you handle that? So you're, you're you're 30 years old, you're the captain of Team New Zealand. You got the weight of, weight and expectation of the country on your shoulder. You're taking on these two guys who have been basically painted as as like, <laughs> villains or yeah. enemies, and you lose five zero. Like how like how, how do you get through that? Oh, it was devastating. Yeah, like it was you know you. you as you say, you know, you've got the weight of the nation. You know, you, you don't feel it at the time because you know you're just going out there doing your, you know, you know, what you think is the best possible job you can. You know, and, and you're a team of over a hundred people. You know, mm. so there's everyone sort of contributing in different ways. Yeah, the thing which was was difficult was that the boat sort of you know falling apart around us. You know, during the series, you know, broken mast in the first race when the you know filled up with water and you know it's just like 
a whole lot of things which just weren't mm. yeah, just weren't good enough. But at the same time, you know, we didn't we didn't probably sail at our best. You know, we there was one race we should have won which we didn't. You know, there was just there was just a whole lot of things that sort of um, you know that happened, and it was just if you're going to lose, you want to lose. In a, in a, I guess in a dignified way, you don't want to. <laughs> you want it like a close race sort of thing. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know to to lose like we did, it just wasn't a, a, a fair reflection of I guess the the quality of the people within the team. Now, unfortunately, in the America's Cup, only one team is ever perceived as being good, and the rest are a shit, you know, because they don't win. <laughs> but the reality is, some teams, you know, like yeah. can actually be really good teams, but just just don't quite get it right, you know. Like, there might be one or two ingredients that just don't sort of um, play through, and and so, you know, are you a failure? Well, no. You know, there's there's a lot of good that comes out of some of these campaigns, but only one team can get it right. You, you know, you look at Formula One or some of these other you know things where, you know, Mercedes were dominant for however many years, and now you know Red Bull, and no one can mm. touch them, and that's just purely because they've just done a few things better than others. You know, it's not like the teams are suddenly, yeah. you know, no good. It's just that one team's just sort of managed to. to Focus your energies in the right area. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure you can look back now as a as a 50 year old man that has survived cancer, and take this for what it is, which is just like a, you know, like a blip in the rearview mirror. But at at the time, it must have been all consuming. Like how like how do you get how do you get through that? Like, yeah, where does that sort of resilience come from to get through something as disappointing as that? Um, it, it was hard. Like, I think the one thing that you never prepare yourself for is the um, the the focus and attention and how brutal um, I guess a lot of the the backlash the media the, the public opinion um, on what you do is you know and because um, you know you don't go out of your way sort of to you know to I guess drag everyone down the hole with it but it, it you, know, you, you end up I think in a position where you, know, you, you try not to to listen to all the negativity but you know, everyone's got an opinion, and and Team New Zealand has always been. You know, the only way it's been able to survive is through um, government funding. You know, in, in some aspect, and with that comes the, I guess that that feeling of public ownership. You know, the New Zealand, mm. you know, um, feel like it, so. Even even though it wasn't just a handout, it was still, I guess, perceived as a handout, and it's. Um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose tax, taxpayers uh, yeah, feel yeah. like they uh, have a sense of ownership in a way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and they and they want accountability, which yeah. is, is absolutely fair enough. You know, like a, it's um, any any sporting team that doesn't succeed, you know, you you, you do need to have accountability to understand mm. how you can do things better. And so, um, but from a personal point of view, like the the um, I suppose the focus, the media attention, the negativity, and things around it all—you know—should it, it really does make you question why? Why the hell do you you do mm. it? Um, because you know the motivation was always very strong. You know, trying to to win the cup for you know for New Zealand and and to bring the America's Cup back to New Zealand. You know, once once it left, but um, oh, you you would you would have wanted it more than anybody. Oh, it was just you know like. San Francisco will be the biggest, you know, that'll be the hardest thing to ever digest, you know, like how that kind of went. San Francisco, from, is that um, 2013? Was, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, you know, like that will be, you know, the one thing that I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look back on and it with regret, the, you know, the whole way through, you know, the rest of my life, you know, it's just because we were so close and you literally could touch, you know, could touch mm. it and, it, and it, it didn't end up um, falling the way we did. And again, that team was phenomenal, but, you know, we just, Ultimately, you know, they uh, they ended up with a, a better boat. Okay, well, let's go straight there. So, 2013. So this, this is 10 years ago now, and I can still 
10 years on, I can still see uh, you almost like wince when you sort of like bring it up. You sort of bristle a little bit. So this was um, yeah, San Francisco, you guys against Oracle, and one of the, the biggest comebacks in sporting history. So Team New Zealand was up. Uh, we were 8-1 eight, uh, eight up. 8-1, yeah. and you needed, to, you needed one more race to win. Yeah. But then what did they do? They brought in some parts from overseas, or they brought in uh, no. Subin Ainsley? No, what? <laughs> No, it was so you know people people sort of um, you know it, it sounds like a bit of a, a cop out, but so when when we started started the uh, the regatta, they they were still at sixes and sevens. They'd been pulled up for uh, for cheating. They'd um, they'd been tampering with you know their, their smaller boats. Had been through some like a court court sort of well not a court an arbitration hearing, which um, you know found them at fault. You know they got penalised. A couple of their sailors couldn't be on the boat. You know so they. They were really in a, a bit of disarray, so we'd turned up in San Fran. You know, we'd gone through the Louis Vuitton series, and and the and we're, you know, we're basically uh, just getting better and better at sailing our boats. So we're sailing that at a really high level. Um, they were they were still really struggling to get their thing around the course. They weren't foil jiving and foiling the boat consistently on the downwind. You know, they were um, struggling to get that that sort of consistency that we we, you know, were. Um, you know, at, at a much higher level. So when we started the cup, you know, we were, you know, we were a lot faster than them on the upwinds. You know, we'd typically we'd sort of gain forty-five seconds every upwind, and and you know, downwind, you know, we'd normally be a bit stronger there as well. The regatta was a really, really long series, and um, you know, by the time, um, you know, by the time we sort of got all the way through, you know, there was weather delays, there was you know, days off. Uh, um, other bits and pieces, you know, the um, races got called off because we went above the wind limit. We had one race that, you know, we were had a massive lead in the, um, and we ran out of the, the time limit. Um, it was just like, went on and on and on. I think, you know, the racing probably was the better part of three weeks, you know, by the time we got from the start to the end. Um, so every, every, every day they, they were going out there and they were just slowly getting better and better and better. And, you know, the, the deficit that they were suffering on the upwinds, that we, they were definitely whittling away at that. So we were still ticking away with race wins. You know, they'd get the old one here and there, but then it was like, um, you know, it was becoming apparent that, you know, we needed to get, you know, get it finished because they were, you know, they were getting, you know, really, really, you know, difficult to actually hold mm. off or, or beat. And so, you know, by the end, um, you know, they, they'd turned the 45-second deficit into a, probably a 45-second advantage where they were able to get their boat foiling on the upwinds, which, you know, our systems were limited. We couldn't we couldn't manage stable flight um, on the upwinds, and, and that was just the game-changer yeah. then, you know, because by the end we are both very similar on the downwinds. You know, the the last two races, you know, we were um, we, we led them around the, the bottom, and n- normally if you had that advantage it would be race over, but they would just, you know, literally sail straight past us on the upwinds. So... It was incredibly um, frustrating, but you know the 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 worst one was you know when we were leading in the the race that um, that the, we ran out of time. Um, you know, I think we were leading by over a kilometre in that race, mm. but it, you know it was just like <laughs> just all the bad luck in the world. Oh, it was just like you know we're, I think we were like two minutes from the finish line. You know, it was just so you know you could you know, and, and I was just like <laughs> yeah. fuck, you know. Let, Where's where's the break, you know? And it just, um, yeah. And so it just was just one of those things where it just kept going and going and going, and it was just, yeah. 
So eight one, and then just just day by day, they they're just chalking up the wins. Yeah, so then yeah, it's eight like two, we, eight three, eight four. Yeah, we, you know, we had the, the sort of that mechanical issue in one of the one the races where you know we went into the tack when we were leading, and you know nearly capsized. You know, obviously saving that, you know, saved a huge amount of um, issue with damage and things. But but you know, we won that race. We would it would have won as well. Mm. You know, and it's always easier after the fact. You know, the would have and could have and everything else, but. Yeah, it'll always be really hard to kind of sit there and, and look at that one and, and say that was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think Do you think you're over it now? Or no, I I don't I don't feel like you are, but I can't put words in your mouth. But I, I've had Shane Cameron on the podcast, and he told me the um, that devastating loss here to David Tua. He reckons it took him like seven years to get over it. Seven years before, you know, he'd get through a day and not think about it. It's um it's interesting. Like I. I, I definitely don't think about it every day, but, um, <laughs> but I do. I do still reflect on just that thing because you know, on one hand, um, you, you look at again. You, you look at all of the fantastic things that the team had done, had done over the the thing. We're the first team to you know look at the the rule a bit differently and, and figure out that they get these boats foiling. And you know, you look at where where we are today. Every every boat mm. you know, around the world now seems to want to go foiling in the America's Cup where it is, and. Um, you know, it changed the course of of sailing. You know, we're sort of pioneering a different different sort of um, pathway, and yeah, there were a lot of things we could have done better. You know, we we could have done you know a hundred different things better. But it's you know, you're just sort of just scratching the surface the whole time, and and it felt like we were far enough ahead all the way through the the process that we'd you know be able to sort of maintain that. But you know, they they did an amazing job of actually sort of um, you know catching back up and and you know, giving themselves the opportunity to actually, mm. uh, um, you know, overtake, and, and they and they did it, you know, only by the you know the very barest of margins. But mm. and is is that when we um, as New Zealanders got to meet Jimmy Spittle? He was the captain of the other boat, right? Yeah. So yeah. that was that started this sort of um, media, I suppose, rivalry between you two. Yeah. Also, He's like public so we, enemy number one. <laughs> you know, um, so Jimmy and I we raced against each other a lot over the years uh, on the match racing circuit. So he was the skipper of, um, or the helmsman of, uh, Luna Rossa. We, we raced him in the final of the Louis Vuitton Cup in Valencia in 2007. So we beat them, I think we beat, we beat them 5-0 in, in that to, to race against the Lingy for the, the Cup. So that was sort of the first time we'd sort of raced, you know, that I'd, you know, it was really head-to-head, you know, in sort of a, a decent event with Jimmy. And then, obviously, he was the, uh, the skipper of Oracle and, uh, San Francisco, and then you know again for Oracle and um, Bermuda, and the following one. But yeah, we certainly didn't um, didn't hang out or anything <laughs> in those days. Um, Is he an all right guy though? He's, we're we're actually great great mates. Yeah, because uh, it's quite a small community, isn't it? The sailing community. Yeah, on the big scheme of things, it, it is. Um, the Oracle Team New Zealand days, you know, there was definitely a lot of um, a lot of hate. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, there was definitely very very competitive, um, but. Um, but you know, you you do learn over time that you know you are, you know, your your fierce competitors on the water. But you know, you do need to be able to compartmentalise, uh, or yeah, exactly. You know, there's life's sort of a bit bigger than just you know just the the sports field. So, um, mm. and you know, I think we'll always have healthy respect for for each other. But it's just. Um, yeah, there was, you know... He, he got you on that occasion. Well, actually, not... not, not yeah, he didn't get you on that occasion. You were just one man on the on Oh, boat. yeah, but, you know, like, yeah. I suppose you wear the weight of the world on your shoulders as the captain, but, 
yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a far bigger picture than that, isn't it? Yeah. But how was how was your mental health through that time? Like, I, I I just can't imagine how difficult it is to you know to get through something like that. Was there like a team sports psychologist or anything no, like that? No, we, we didn't. It was um, you know you you obviously work together as a as a squad as a team. Yeah. You, know, you sort of you talk through you know where where things are at. You know, like um, everyone deals with things in different ways. You know, you, I don't think two two people can be this. You know, are ever going to deal with things the same. No. Um, Again, you know, the while you're in the in the process or going through the the races, you don't um, you don't really sense it. It's only sort of when it's it's all said and done that you you know you really, I guess, feel that sort of the hurt of um, you know the, the the disappointment, you know, the the emotion that, that goes with it because you you literally put everything into into it. And for me, that was really the one where it hurt the most because you. You literally have put everything you have into into oh, that campaign over many and, years, and and then one day it's just you know it's suddenly there's no more races and it and it's over and you you know, you're, you're packing up and you're going home and it's it's bloody hard because you've you you don't ever for one minute think about what's going to happen tomorrow you know you're always thinking about you know the regatta and and going out there to win races and and ultimately win the cup. So when it when it finishes and you haven't got what you're looking for, or you, the result that you expect to to get, it just it's just this massive black hole, you know, where you just sort of think, what next? And so uh, yeah, so to to deal with that was, um, and that that for sure has been the hardest one ever to to kind of to deal with, you know, just because we'd been so close, we we felt like we'd had the opportunity to to win that one. Um, oh, and, it was one hand on the trophy, as people were saying. Yeah, and so, <laughs> so to to not mm. um, was just like, yeah, in, incredibly, um, incredibly hard to 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 deal with. Mm. And was there was was there like a, a fallout or a personality clash with you and Grant Dalton at that time, or was that just like a media sort of? No, look, you know, we'd been fine all the way through. Yeah. It. Um, obviously, you know, probably where where it um, escalated was when you know the. You know, obviously the media sort of um, started climbing on board, sort of you know picking apart all the different decisions and things that have been made course, during that um, yeah. that that process, and you know obviously that created a bit of um, bit of friction. Yeah, oh man, you, you've you've been through the ringer, eh? Like it's it's not a career for the faint. No, it definitely isn't. You know, and should I? You know, it would, like, yeah. would have been a lot nicer to be sitting here, you know, talking about you know how. I won that one, and then yeah. I won that one, and yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, when you look back now, like, and you, you reflect on your career so far, um, it's not done yet. Are, are, are you happy with it? Um, the, there's not a, a thing that I would change. Yeah, you know, obviously, other than if you could, the results. But, um, but you know, I've been very, very fortunate to work with some amazing people, and you know, been part of some really special teams. And you work with so many talented individuals, you know, like in design, shore team, you know, uh, trainers, you know, all, all these different people that um, open your eyes to different ways of doing things and how, how to be a better person. And just, you know, I've always been fascinated with the um, the engineering and design and the technology of, um, of what we do. And, yeah, I think if it was just going out and doing the same thing over and over and over, You'd very quickly become bored, but because you're always learning, you know, every single day you'd wake up, you'd be thinking, you know, 
what what are we going to learn today? Is it is the boat going to be faster? Is it some you know better way of doing something? Are we going to learn you know a different technique of how to race the boat better? Or what? you're always challenging yourself to be um, be better, and uh, and I think that was probably one of the the best um, the best things about it. Like to to go to work and know that you're you're probably going to come home slightly uh, better off than you were when you when you arrived. Mm-hmm. It's it, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So they're um. They're two very, very different, but two very big events in your life. So there's the um, like the bowel cancer diagnosis and the 2013 America's Cup and that whole campaign, and then the ultimate disappointment at the end. How like how do those two um, compare in terms of like big things on the scheme of life? Yeah, is is there any sort of? Um, don't know if I've ever really thought about it like that. It's um, they're two. Yeah, one, one one big difference is like yeah they are both both big things. One's a matter of life and death. The other one's not. It's just sport. But one one you can do in, in private with just your family. The other one you've got the you know four million people with an opinion, even though they don't jack shit about it. I think that the biggest difference. I'm just thinking, you know, thinking about it as, you, as we're sitting here now. Mm. But the, probably the biggest one for me was that you know one is a, as you say it's a personal, um, you know, it's it's sort of you against you know. Something that you can't even see or touch. You know, mm. you're, you're just dealing with something that has happened to your your body, and you can't really, um, you know, maybe you can't rationalise it or figure out why, but it's there, and you've got to deal with it. You know, the other is something that you've you've planned for, and you've you've known, and you've you've got your sort of your timeline and everything else, and so you you, you you've still got the the benefit of time to sort of make a make a plan and and and. Um, figure out how you're going to sort of put all the pieces together working with a, a group of people so your yeah, one's a very personal thing one's a, yeah. a a much bigger bigger thing where you're sort of operating on on a different kind of scale i suppose but um what's harder well yeah w- without doubt it's uh you know the personal you know battle with um with your health because you know it's the one thing that um you know you you, you know that you have to win it's uh, you know it's not not one that you can Sort of uh, accept yeah. uh, accept the other the other alternative. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that explanation. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for putting you on the spot. No, and no, it's fine. Yeah, about no, it. it's, um, no, it's quite an interesting way to look at it. But. Well, I mean, you've you've just been through like that, that 2013 America's Cup campaign. Um, like, you know, you, you it's it's a team sport, but it's um you've been through something that no one else will ever ever get to go through, and I just can't imagine what it's like going through that. And the fact that you did and made it through the other end, and you're a stronger person for it, you know, it speaks loads about your character. I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. No, it's always it's just it's amazing how you can keep challenging yourself in different ways, and you know, and hopefully you you're, you're better when you come out the other end of it. Mm. But it's yeah, there's definitely you know you you you, um, you definitely feel scars in different ways. You know, whether it's emotional or, or physical. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah, where does that where does that sort of um, resilience and inner strength come from? Is it something that you've had to think about, or it's just um, just in you and you're just a tough fucker? Um, I, I wouldn't categorise myself as that. I just I think <laughs> it's um, you. You know, you probably develop thick skin over time because you know you, certainly with the, being involved in a uh, the Team New Zealand campaigns um, where you are very much in the public eye a lot of the time it's um and and that support is you know is fantastic you know when it's there but obviously the aftermath when it's not it hasn't gone well you know you you do have to be um oh, incredibly public. resilient but you know because it's just you know you you do get you know you just get 
beaten down and down and down and it is really really tough you know because a lot of it's very personal and um you know some of it's very uneducated but it's an opinion that people have. Uh, oh, it, most of it is uneducated. Uh, yeah. When the America's Cup's on, like suddenly everyone's using yachting terminology that we've heard on the TV, but <laughs> we know nothing about what's going on. Yeah, but but again, you know, when when there's been public money involved, you know, and it feels like yeah. that sort of that sense of you know accountability, and people, you know, they do care, which is which is great, you know. And I think New Zealand, you know, whether it's the All Blacks or the the cricket team or the netballers or you know whatever it might be at the time the Olympics you know everyone's got an opinion you know and it New Zealand you know I've been fortunate to travel a lot to go to you know to to you know lots of different places with the sailing and and it's been a great opportunity but people can't often understand how New Zealand can be so focused on <laughs> on, on you know on sports and sports teams you know like, yeah um, yeah you know it's it is quite quite remarkable but you know. It, it is cool to see at the same time, you know, that um, the way that the country does embrace and get in behind, you know, the different different things that are on, you know, at, at any particular time. Mm. Yeah, actually, we, we haven't even mentioned you going to the Olympics. So you went to the 2004 Olympics in Athens. Um, who was that? Uh, Sarah Omar, she won a gold. The Eva Swindell twins, I yeah. think Ben Fui did okay. Yeah. What, what are your memories of the Olympics? Was it a fun time? It was a good. good experience? Yeah. yeah, it was good. Like, I, I, I tried to qualify in 96 and, yeah, I got really close, you know. Um, and it was something that I really wanted to go and, and participate in. And so after the 2003 Cup, I jumped back in the fin. I uh, had six months to basically prepare for the Games. And it was just, you know, I was sort of thinking, well, you know, if I can be involved in the America's Cup, you know, surely I can do the Olympics. And, you know, it was a bit of a, it was a mistake because I just hadn't had enough time. You know, the, most most people in the sailing and, and probably most other sports, you know, they've, they've de- dedicated the past four or six or eight years, mm. whatever, to, you know, the ultimate goal. And, um, yeah, I just didn't, didn't have enough time. You know, I had some good results leading up to it, got to the Games and just wasn't, just wasn't good enough, you know, to um, to be able to get you know to a medal position. But yeah, I think you finished um like twelfth or something. Yeah. But but yeah, that aside, was it a, a fun experience going to the Olympic Games? I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, it's yeah, it's one of the, it's an experience where you need. I, I really think you benefit by going going twice. You know, where you you understand the process, you you learn the the, the lessons. You know, you, you sort of see what's going on because it is it is quite a. A daunting thing, you know. You get there, and you know the security and the athletes, and you know the the, the team village, and you know, all all of those things. You look at it, and you just go, "Wow, you know this, this is pretty blimmin' amazing," you know. And um, yeah, it's um, but you know that was when they the, um, Hamish and Bevan. You know, oh, the triathlon one and two. Yeah, that was yeah, remarkable. Going, going along and watching that, you know, just seeing those guys doing. Yeah, it just the, how good. Oh, it was just it was just so cool, you know. Like, um, you know, to see New Zealand doing so well on the world stage, you know, it's um, you know, we punched so far above our weight, mm. you know, internationally. It's uh, it's amazing, and yeah, you look at the the, the two um, two girls, Amy and Lisa, you know, this, and the oh, and the remarkable, quite, you know, like you know, it's just how how can two people, you know, dominate a you know a world you know the world sport you know yeah you must so, be a case of um, them sort of like pushing each other or keeping each other honest yeah which is which is you know again is seems like a very new zealand thing mm. and um how how have um people in the public been to you over over the years has it only ever been nice has there ever been anyone that's that's come up you know during good times or bad times and you know been inappropriate 
Um, again, everyone everyone's got an opinion, and you know, like when, when you jump <laughs> oh, in the taxi God. and uh, and you know they start telling you about foiling tax and how you could do this that, this better and everything else, it's kind of it's a pretty hard case. But um, <laughs> no, I'd, I'd have to say, um, you know, all, all in all, like the the support that I've had through my career, you know, particularly when I've been you know sailing as part of Team New Zealand mm-hmm. or whatever, has just been has been phenomenal. When even you know like when we're here with American Magic, you know, just um, I think the New Zealand public in relation to America's Cup probably are more accepting now that, that uh, you know, only a certain number of people can work for, for Team New Zealand yeah. and, and then Kiwis go and work for other, other teams because, you know, they're, they're perceived as um, being able to bring, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of you know, probably good uh, attributes to what their, you know, the other teams are doing. And so, but, yeah, it's the support that I've always felt has been, you know, been pretty... Mm pretty special you know you, you definitely treasure a lot of the uh, a lot of that and um and you do realize that you know when things don't go well that you do need to be you know be prepared to you know i guess better stand there and and uh you know talk about you know the reasons why yeah yeah I, I, i've had um sir ashley bloomfield sitting in that chair and he said someone came up to him once and said i i hope you have a bad day <laughs> and that's the worst he got um and it's it, it is nice to know that um even when things are things are tough and people feel like they've got a right to say something that they they just don't they save that stuff for the internet yeah and that was another i guess that's been a lesson you know avoid the internet because that is you know mm. like some of the forums and things that exist you know again they'd make you want to give up you know before you even start you know because they again the the keyboard warriors you know they've got plenty to say and uh yeah without any any sort of basis to to sort of um you know be able to to say you know a lot of what they do say so yeah but yeah when you when you reflect on your your career so far mostly happy with it there's been been a lot of highlights yeah there's a lot of yeah a lot of things which i've you know really yeah feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do um yeah, again, you know, if if you were, you know, reflecting on it, San Francisco definitely was one that got away. You know, Valencia, we we had a, a probably as good a shot at it as we could have. You know, but I think in the end, Alingi were just again still still too strong. Um, but yeah, I've you know I've been just so so lucky to work with you know some great teams and to be to be you know a part of that. So you know, I really mm. have enjoyed everything that I've done there. Um, but you know, you definitely reach a point. You know, for me, it was you know at forty six. You know, finding out about the uh, the bowel cancer and that really probably, I guess, rang you know it rang home at that point that things were um, you know I needed to probably just take a step back and and reevaluate you know where I was and what I was doing because again, you, know, you the body's telling you something. Um, you know, it doesn't happen. You know, just because it wants to, it, you know, yeah. it's probably something going on that you need to probably address. Mm. And how's the second half of your life going to look? Um, you, you, your kids are pretty much almost off your hands now, right? How, how oh, young is the youngest? Uh, so we've got four kids. Um, the eldest one's just turned 18. Um, they've got a 15, 14, 12. So oh, a few it, more years. But, but you're at the close. age now where you and, you and Mandy can go out for dinner and someone's going to look after someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. We're sort of definitely, you know, you, you you do feel like you sort of get a bit of um, bit of time back, but in saying that, you know, the, the kids are just so active with with school sport and club sport and everything else, and it, it is actually really nice to see them going out and doing things for themselves. You know, like they, you know, we, we've never pushed them into doing anything that they don't want to do themselves, but it is nice to see 
uh, see them really active and mm. I think the best part about of it is that they're it's keeping them off their devices and, and everything else because it, it is very different now to you know, we used to go out there and climb trees and you know like ride bikes around the neighborhood and you know now it's like yeah. All oh, there's it. so much that you can do on your devices. Yeah, oh, it's a it's a completely different game now, isn't it? It is absolutely. So how long how long have you been married now? We got Twenty married, years. Yeah, we got married and you just about yeah we got married in 2004. Oh, and, congratulations! Um, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, I don't know how Mandy's put up with me for that long. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. How, how did how did you guys make? So so Mandy was um. Geez, she she's been out of the public eye for such a long time now. Uh, I feel like this is by design, but um, yeah, there was a time. So she was seeing Mark Ellis for a number of years in their varsity days, and they were like the it couple of New Zealand, like the it sporting couple. You had an all black and a, a you know black sticks hockey player. Um, then 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 yeah, how did you guys meet? How did that come about? Oh, it was a blind date after uh, it was after two thousand. I, I went over to um, Sydney and and uh, uh, and watched watched her play. Well, you know. Went, went and watched the New Zealand hockey hockey team play their it was their playoff match to get into the gold and silver um, final oh, for the Olympics. Ar- yeah right. against Argentina and you know it obviously didn't work out the way they wanted but um, I was aware of her you know of her then you know nothing really um, but you know later in the year we sort of um, you know a mutual friend sort of set us up on a blind date and we, we went out it was um, yeah rest was history but it's it was um, yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, it's it's been great. Like you know, we've we've had some fantastic times together. You know, we've been um, I think having that sort of same more sharing, you know, passion for sport and and sort of being involved in teams and everything else. I think that's been been great. And yeah, obviously we have a very competitive uh, relationship at times. You know, <laughs> like, the, uh, do you? Do you? What, like what about? Well, Just anything ten- tennis or like. you know like yeah um, or. You know, golf, I've probably got the better over on that one, but it's um, but not, yeah. with, not with dumb things like board games, though. No, 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 no. no, no. no. But no, it's been <laughs> it's been fantastic, and she's you know she's been a huge you know support. You know, um, you know when things haven't been great, you know, um, but never more so than you know obviously going through the health the health issues. Yeah. You know, like um, you know having that support, I think it, you know there's no way I would have got through what I'd been through without you know having her there to to help through with that. It's um. You know, because it is very, very taxing. You know, you sort of think you're dealing with it okay, but yeah, you, know, you definitely have some some downtime or down days as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and I suppose with her background in high performance sport herself, um, she can offer some sort of perspective on things like when things, like I suppose in 2013 San Francisco, when when things don't go well, or is it just a case of just her her being there as your support person? Oh, both. You know, yeah. they. You know, she she obviously you know has has experienced highs and lows with um with what she's done with the hockey and 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 other things as well and you know she um you know she's she had a really tough um experience when you know, when she was young her elder sister um you know died of a brain tumor you know at, you know at a very young age you know early twenties and and so you know she's she's experienced some pretty tough personal losses as well um and so um. Yeah, it just helps to bring a balance because you know it is easy to sit there, sort of feeling, you know, a little bit down and maybe a bit sorry for yourself, and you know, just that sort of gentle reminder that you know there's 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 other things going on out there as well, and so you know it is good to have that sort of grounding. And yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So when's when? Do you know when your wedding date is? When's the twentieth anniversary? It's February. Yeah. Uh, oh, so it's been. Year. Oh, next no, year. Next year will be twenty. Yeah. Right. 
Oh, that's that's a milestone to be proud of. I got married in two, uh, 2004 as well, but I'm no longer with my wife. So oh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's obviously very lucky. You know, we sort of had a, you know, a great relationship, but it's, um, you know, and she's obviously never once had a question, you know, travelling to be able to carry on doing what we've been doing um, with all the different sailing and teams and what have you. But, but you know, she's obviously been uh, a huge part of, you know, keeping the kids sort of, organized and grounded and things mm. you know because you know i've often had to travel and things managed to be there for all the births which was probably an, <laughs> an achievement but um oh, but, yeah. it wouldn't be worth living if you didn't no, no you didn't hear about that that's for sure yeah what, what's that like I've, I've never been able to have my own own kids so i've never experienced that but it's um yeah it's an, an, an emotional experience just a, a an exciting experience um the the first one i think is was definitely was definitely probably the most interesting because you know, you're in there, you, you've had the baby. Well, I haven't. Mandy has. Um, and <laughs> Team effort. Then a few hours later, you know, you're basically walking out the front door of the hospital with a, the capsule, going, you know, where's the instruction <laughs> manual? You know, like it's uh, it's definitely. And then by the time you know number four rolls around, you know, you sort of basically you know you throw them in the caption off you go. You know, it's like um, yeah, a very different sort of. Uh, the way you look at it, the first one, you know, I think for everyone, it's always, you know, they're wrapped in cotton wool and, you know, they but, but you very quickly realise how kind of uh, robust they are and, you know, like, they, and the unique thing is how different they, they all are, like, just same parents but different, you know, completely different outcomes, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I've got friends that say exactly the same thing. Like they say, the first kid they'd you know race to A and E in the middle of the night with even a little cough, and by the yeah. time they have kid number three, they could be like coughing in bed at night, and they're yeah. just like, ah, it'll be fine. <laughs> Worry about it in the morning. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for coming over today. No, no problem at all. No, I, nice I, to chat. I really, really appreciate. it. I feel like you're one of these these people. As I said at the beginning, everyone knows, but um, yeah, by design, like no one knows a lot about Dean Barker because. Um, You've just you're just one of these New Zealanders, almost like an old school New Zealander, where you've just like put your head down, mucked on in, and got through with things. So I appreciate you coming today and being so open about everything. How, how you, do you do much running now? Are you, mate, I've got osteoarthritis in the middle of my knee. So the last year has been a test of patience trying to get back into it. Um, but yeah, I got out for ten k this morning, a bit slower now. But I think I saw you at the start line of one of the Auckland marathons or half marathons. I, I used to, I used to love run, running. Was yeah. was my release, and I used to just love being, you know, because it was so transportable. Every time you went to a, a regatta or anything, you know, it was just so nice to go out for a run just to clear the head yeah. and, and things. And then, yeah, I just, you know, like as I got a little bit older, I just really uh, struggled with calf injuries. You know, just really struggled to get on top of it and just, you know, be be running and yeah, you know, just have an issue and just, you know, then. So I haven't got the biggest calves, so it probably doesn't help. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I used to love it. But so yeah, my my fitness training sort of cardio's end up being more on the on the stationary bike, you know, peloton and that sort of thing. But yeah. it's um, oh, aging, mate. It's it's uh, it is. It's, it's tough. A ter- it's a it's... terrible thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what so what did, did you do? A, a full marathon? Just a couple of halves? I uh, did two or three halves here. Yeah. Um, How'd you get on? You go right. You're quite a, you're quite a big dude, eh? You're taller than what I imagined. I think. <laughs> Uh, I think the best time I did was a one thirty-two or one. Oh shit! But, but That's yeah, good going. no, I was okay. I don't know what's your what's your sort of. Oh, we, let's not get into comparing times. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's a very personal thing. Right, right. I, right. I, I got down to like um, I, 
I, I did a one-hour, 23-half marathon, which is wow. the – it took me years. I, I had a goal of breaking three hours in the marathon, which is like four, four minutes, 16K pace, and I ended up doing that, one and done. But the, the work required to get me to that pace, I thought after doing it, yeah, could I do it again? Could I go back? Could I even go faster than two hours, 57, which is what I did? And the answer I came up with was probably. Maybe I could get down to 255 or two, but whatever, but the, the amount of extra work required – it just wouldn't be worth the extra satisfaction mm. it would bring me. Yeah. No, it's a, you know, running such a mental thing, isn't it? Because, you know, you, it's so easy. I remember the first half I did, you know, when you, you line up and everyone just bolts and, and you sort of, you get, you get caught up with the adrenaline and everything yeah, else. You know, yeah. you sort of almost forget about everything, you know, about pacing and things and, you know, you five or 10 K in and you're going, oh my God, you know, like it's, uh, yeah. So the second time around it was actually, you know, much, it was much easier, you know, you just sort of, you know, you had that discipline, as you say, you know, you look at your, that timing and your pace and everything, mm. but. Because at, at the start line of a half marathon or a marathon, everyone's feeling good. You know, you've, you've done the training, you've tapered off, um, you, you're feeling energised by being around the crowd, but that's the hard thing, going slower than what you feel like you should in yeah. those opening case. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, you know, because um, we had the, uh, Working with us at Team New Zealand, uh, John Ackland, who obviously you know, oh yeah yeah legend, he's, he's been you know, so involved in high performance, you know, sport and running and things. And you know, I remember him saying, you know, like when I went to do the first one and said, you know, basically you've got to think of it that sixteen k is probably where you want to feel like you've exerted half your energy, you know. And it's like, mm. yeah, it, it does it does <laughs> sort of you know like the first time around it does definitely feel like that. You know, you you sort of get there and you think, oh, it's only five to go, but it's they are it's. It's a tough five k. The last, yeah, you know, yeah. never done a full. Um, you know, it was one thing I was would have liked to have done, but still yeah, could, still could. I just got to try and sort the damn calves out. But yeah, yeah. anyway, mate, you've um, you've you've been through so much. If you uh, anything you want to put your mind to, I reckon you could do. Yeah, no, I do. I do definitely miss the running. I'd like to. I'd like to get back mm. into it, but I just got to yeah try and sort that part of <laughs> hey well Dean Barker you're a great New Zealander thank you so much for being uh, so open with your um, yeah, professional and personal stories today really appreciate it no problem thanks Don and yeah, cheers best of luck for whatever the future brings yeah you too thank you so much for making it all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey I genuinely do appreciate it this episode sponsored by Radix Nutrition a small Waikato company doing big things and with big plans to take on the world when it comes to nutrition check them out radix.co.nz and if you like what you see please support the legends that support this podcast Uh, I genuinely mean this when I say this this podcast would not be possible week in week out um, without the support of legends like the team at Radix Nutrition radix.co.nz if you have not done so already please uh, rate the show if your podcast platform allows like give it a five star rating on Spotify or write a review on Apple if that's where you listen to it and if you don't do so already please subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified every time there is a brand new episode. Um, Yeah, I think that will do it for now. Thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. And I do hope to see you next week on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.